Lord Jesus, we know that you don't play with dice. We know that there are things in this universe that do um, continue to behave the way you created them to. But Lord, we know that that not a single one of us who is here this morning has ended up here by accident or just by chance. So Lord, I pray that as we open the scriptures, what you have inspired and what you have recorded and what you have preserved for us would sink in and would take root and would transform us. Spirit of God, we know that you are the one who was promised of Christ that you would be the one who would come and reside in us and connect us to the Father and the Son. That you are the one who was promised who would come and lead us and guide us into all truth, the one who would convict us of sin and of righteousness. And we ask that you would be present here with us in a very, very clear way. Lord God, you you know the state of our heart. You know the things we are wrestling with. You know the things that we are hurting from. You know the questions and the what-ifs and the decisions that we have laid out in front of us. Would you please meet with us and reveal yourself? We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, please have your Bible open. And we are in Corinthians chapter 4. Just while you're doing that, I'm going to get Ali to play a little video that we haven't seen in a couple of weeks. Uh, This week, we are, uh, for those of you who are visiting or kind of new with us this morning, we're in Corinthians chapter 4, and this is week 11 in Corinthians. So we might be done by December, who knows? We'll see. You remember we had a look at this a couple of months ago. Um, Here you are, Kerrang Baptist Church, somewhere in that room, and as we zoom out, we can see how invasive Big Brother's technology is. Um, this is Google Earth zooming out and we can see, you know, the, the swamp and we can see the, uh, the race course. And in just a moment, we'll see the um, Reedy Lake and Middle Lake and Third Lake, incredibly creatively named lakes that they are. And then we see the state of Victoria and southern New South Wales and then then this is, this is where we are, but we need to have our minds wrapped around the context of what we're going to be reading again. And literally on the other side of the world is the town that we're going to be reading about, the town of Corinth. And what Paul wrote to the group of Christians who were meeting in Corinth, the Lord wanted you to have that information because what has applied in Corinth is also going to apply to us. So you can see here we've got um, sort of the Sinai Peninsula disappearing down to the right. We're zooming in on an area known as the Peloponnese and this tiny little strip of land that we're going to zoom in on in a moment is called the Isthmus of Corinth. And some of you who've seen uh, a very old film called 300 Spartans where all the men wore skirts. Interesting film. Um, There's been a recent version that's been remade. Don't watch it but is about a famous war that took place over this little spit of land here. When we looked into the history of Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, we saw that it was incredibly wealthy and because it was a strategic city, it had had been the target of a whole lot of different attacks. It had been decimated uh, at different points. But by the time Paul comes to write to them, this 
This town, this city has renewed wealth. They are a trade hub. They are a cultural melting pot. And they have wealth flowing in. And they have the favor and the peace of Rome on them. Pax Romana. The Roman Empire is going to, to cause them to be very, very stable. And so they have these hills up behind the town and they have these centers of worship. And so by the time it comes to Paul writing to them, the whole town has this anticipation that they are, they are set. They are going to be wealthy and powerful and influential. And the first four chapters of the book of Corinthians, if you found it, just let me know that you found it. Okay, a couple of people, some knowing nods, good. So the first four chapters of the book of Corinthians is Paul addressing kind of issue number one. It seems that the, the church in Corinth had written to Paul and as we sift through the, the comments that Paul makes to them, we can see by reading between the lines just a little bit, we don't want to see things that aren't there, we can see some of the issues that were presenting themselves. And Paul has spent a huge amount of time basically dealing with the pride that was going on in this church. They were bragging to one another and doing spiritual one-upmanship about who was holier than who because of who baptized them. And where we left off last year was we were in chapter 3 and Paul throughout chapter 3 basically goes through and says that your faith is not supposed to be based on any person. It's not supposed to be attached to a particular leader. Your allegiance is not supposed to be attached to Pastor Bob or Pastor Al or Pastor Elmer or any pastor. Your allegiance is supposed to be attached to Jesus. And a leader knows that they don't sit in the big seat. No minister, no priest, no bishop ultimately sits in the big seat. We are caretakers. We are shepherds under the chief shepherd who is Christ. And this is how Paul speaks about himself. Let's just read some of the last verses that we had a look at then in the first part of chapter 4. Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Paul, he was saying, don't assume your leaders have already kind of cleared the deck. Don't assume that they have already proved to themselves trustworthy and true. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Leaders are not supposed to seek praise from people, but to be faithful and to seek praise from God. Verse 6, now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm going to talk about myself and other leaders because if one of you talks about me and the other leaders, people are going to think there's some kind of agenda playing out. So let me do it for you. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. And that phrase there, do not go beyond what is written. Do not put trust and faith in, in a person which is supposed to be anchored in the scriptures in what God has revealed about himself. Verse 7, For who makes you different from anyone else? What, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Paul is again pushing this point. It's, it's not about you. There is not some kind of super special status that any one of us has before Christ because we've somehow earned it or acquired it. All of us have received the same thing from Christ. We are all on the same tier. Paul is not finished critiquing their behavior. 
This is our passage this morning. We're going to go from verse 8 down to verse 14. I've highlighted some words up here on the screen. I'm reading from an NIV. But please, scribble, draw, highlight. I won't say in a pew Bible, but okay, in a pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. Paul says to them this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. That's a colloquial expression, by the way. It's the way that we would say to someone, wow, you've made it. He's saying to them, you've already begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. What would happen is that when prisoners were were brought out to be paraded before people, because you could place bets on which gladiator was going to survive or which prisoner was going to die first, if they survived that round in the arena, guess what? they would qualify for another round in the arena. And they would keep getting cycled out and cycled out and dragged before the crowds and put on display until they died. There's only, there's only like two or three mentions in history of gladiators who ended up leaving the arena. It was a place where you would send prisoners to die for entertainment and sport. That's the picture that Paul is using here. Halfway through verse 9, we, talking about himself as the apostles, we the apostles have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. That's a big idea. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And Paul is about... To say to them, you should be following my example. I urge you to follow my example. That's where Paul's going with this. But we're going to sit with this idea. Very simple, very short little idea this morning. Paul spends a whole lot of time making a very clear contrast between the life of an apostle and then the life of these people who are claiming to be super spiritual. Really simple contrast. And why does Paul give them this contrast? It's right there in verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. See, the Corinthian church had become a church full of pride. And have a look at what Paul mentions here as the main differences between them. Verse 8, you have all you want. You're comfortable, you're settled, you're financially secure. You have the peace of Rome. You have all that you want. You have become rich. You've begun to reign. You've, you've made it. And then he says, how I wish that you really had made it. How I wish that Christ really had come, that, that you had started to reign, that Jesus had begun the restoration of all things because then 
I could clock off being one of these people who's been put on display. That's the comparison that Paul here is making. That here is an incredibly rich, incredibly comfortable church full of people. And this is so far from Paul's own experience. Here in verse 10, we are fools for Christ himself and the other apostles. But you are so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. Do you think Paul is speaking with his tongue in his cheek in verse 10? He's critiquing their behavior. He's actually speaking about it in a negative way. He's about to say to them, leave that behavior and follow my example instead. That's what he's about to say here. So have a look at the difference with that in mind here in verse 10. He's critiquing their values. This is a church full of people who want to be seen as wise by the community around them, by the town that they're in. This is what Corinth has a reputation for. This is what Paul is about to really get stuck into them about. Flick over and have a look at, the, um, at some of the little sort of paragraph headings that you have. Because straight after we finish chapter 4, chapter 5, dealing with the case of incest, chapter 6, lawsuits, sexual immorality, married life. Concerning food sacrifice to idols, Paul is about to give them a working over. And here he's saying, you are so wise in Christ. These are people who see themselves as wise. They are people that see themselves as strong. They are people who really value being honored. There is a really, really high contrast between what's going on in this church this church in Corinth, and what's going on in the life of Paul the Apostle. He is critiquing their lifestyle. He calls himself homeless. He calls himself the scum of the earth. Uh, this is in Tanzania. I went looking for some pictures to do with contrast. You remember when we studied the book of James, it says that scripture is supposed to be like a mirror. If we hold the mirror up and we see something in ourselves that needs to be changed and we go away not changing it, why bother looking in the mirror? This is the discomfort that comes with pursuing Christ is maybe some of us in this room, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, maybe some of us have been a bit too comfortable. And when we look at the life of Paul, we go, oh, wow, such a person of power and the spirit was with him and the Lord does signs and wonders and, and the gospel takes root. What has Paul given up? For that, what has Paul sacrificed for that? He's not considered honored. The world around him does not consider him wise, does not consider him strong. They consider him the scum of the earth. This is in Brazil. Is there a contrast? between what you want and what you value and what Paul here is talking about as his own experience. Paul contrasts the public regard, the lifestyle of being an apostle, which literally means a sent one. He contrasts that with these people who've been bragging about being baptized by him and by the other apostles. And he's saying something does not add up. If these apostles are the source of their spiritual status, 
then why don't they look like apostles in the way that they live? Why do they seem to have different values? I am... Um, a number of years ago, when I was living in Melbourne, I was a piano delivery person. Um, there's no technical name for that apart from truck jockey. And, uh, and what's cool is you, you, I was the navigator and you had to read a Melways. Anyone remember a Melways? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the sound of a dial-up modem. Yeah. Um, but where we would travel every now and then, we would go... We would go to, to places that otherwise I would have no reason to go to. And we went one time to deliver a piano to, I think it was St. Kevin's, which was, which was a, a school. And there were other schools that we visited, like the, the Presbyterian Ladies College and the Methodist Ladies College and, and Cary Grammar and all these sort of places. And I asked the question of myself one time, because some of these places, their school fees are $45,000 per year per student. It's, it's massive money and and I just went, what would Carey think if he was here? What would he think about that? You know, or the Methodist Ladies College, what would John Wesley think? What would he think? Here we have what Paul thinks of the Corinthian church. And so let's personalize this a little bit. What would Slade think coming and visiting Kerrang Baptist Church these days? What about Wilkin? What about some of the early reformers who wanted to, to shift power away from these political bishop figures and go, you know what, we are all the body of Christ. These people who were hunted and tortured and many of them killed for their faith. It's good for us to get a refresher of this going on from time to time. What would they think? Is there a contrast between the DNA that they had and our DNA when it comes to faith? Paul here says that this is a warning. I write this not to shame you, but to warn you. And I think we need to hear that this morning. If we are comfortable, if we are financially secure, if if we do have our health, if we do feel like we've got a handle on the world and we're, and we're trying to get stuff to happen, there is not some kind of inherent wickedness in that. But if there is a severe contrast in the content of our faith, we must hear the same warning as the Corinthian church. What in my life tends more towards the experience of someone like Paul? Or what in my life tends more towards the reputation of the Corinthian church? Are we as a church family and are we as followers of Christ as individuals known for our acquisition of wealth and comfort and social status? Or are we known for our sacrifice of wealth and comfort and social status? So the question really is, if, if the Spirit of God is bringing conviction right now to your heart and to my heart and to us as a community, if we go, you know what, there is a contrast there and I don't want there to be a contrast there, then our practical question must be, what prevents us from moving forward? What is there in your life that prevents you from moving forward with Christ? 
What do I need to give up or what do I need to hold on to? So some questions. Question number one is this. What is the most recent thing you have given up as you pursue Jesus? Maybe something that you've given up owning or maybe something you've given up doing or something you've given up saying. And maybe it's the way other people think about you. Maybe it's people perceiving you as wise. Maybe it is a material thing. What is the most recent thing you've given up as you pursue Jesus? And if there's not something that clearly comes to mind, then maybe that's, maybe that's the question to take home today. Lord, how do I let go of, of some of these things in order to pursue you? Is there something holding me back? Second question. How are you managing the temptation to want other people to see you as strong or wise or to honor you? Because Paul was not seen as strong or wise and he was certainly not honored. But if that's on our agenda, that can prevent us from following Christ. So how are you managing that temptation? Are you giving in to that? Are you bringing it before the Lord? How are you managing the temptation to be considered strong, wise, or to be honored? And third question, if there is something that you know is holding you back that you actually need to unhook yourself from, what are you going to do about it? 2018 went pretty quick. We are most of the way through January 2019. It will go just as fast, if not faster. And if this is going to be a year that you move forward with Christ, that you grow both in, in the depth and in the breadth of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, then that is going to happen based on your decisions. No one can decide it for you. And again, uh, the scriptures are true when it says that you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you are not interested in pursuing him or if you put it on the back burner or if you go, actually, I'm too busy to, to pursue the Lord right now. I'm too busy to prioritize serving someone or I'm too busy to prioritize investing in the faith of another person or I'm too busy to prioritize getting down on my hands and knees and actually seeking the Lord, then at the end of 2019, you are going to be right where you are right now, if not back a bit. Because the push of culture to carry you in the opposite direction is not going to let up. I say this not to shame you, but to warn you, says Paul. If there is a contrast between our faith and the faith of of those who, who have imparted the gospel to us, then there's a warning there for us. We're going to have a look then next week uh, at where Paul goes from here. It's about to be a very, very bumpy ride. Isn't that good? Good. Yeah. Might need to bring another cushion to sit on because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's good.
But if you are passionate about pursuing Jesus, if there's stuff in your life that you want to pray through, that you need to talk through, my phone is always on. All right? If you are wanting to start serving, if you're wanting to start investing in the faith of other people, if you're wanting to operate more as a person who God has sent into the space where you find yourself, let's have that conversation. Let's not end 2019 and still be in the exact same place with the Lord that we've been in 2018. The Lord always, always, always has more of himself to reveal to us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if this warning is for us, would you let us hear it, please? If there are things that we need to take on board as as Paul's description of himself. Lord, if, if there are things that we need to part with out of our life. Things like pride or wanting to be seen as wise or wanting to be honored by other people. Lord, journey us through that. Help us to have the right conversations to sort out our thinking and our feeling. But Lord God, we want this town and we want this region and we want our country to know who you are. We want to communicate that clearly. We want people to come into contact with you. Lord Jesus, would you give us boldness to face what's going on in our own hearts? Would you give us boldness to proclaim you And would you give us wisdom to proclaim you faithfully, even if it costs us? Where we have wanted to follow you, where it actually hasn't been about you, where it's been about us and wanting to be respectable or to have public regard, Lord Jesus, lead us into repentance of that. Where we have wanted an easy ride or a free ride, where we have not wanted to make disciples of other people, where we have not wanted to serve or where we have not prioritized what you have given us to do, Lord God, would you lead us in repentance around that? And Lord God, would you give us such a passion to lay hold of you? Would this be a year where we see remarkable steps forward? for us as individuals and for us as a community following hard after you and your mission and your passion for the people we see around us. Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you come and be amongst us by your spirit? Lord, we do pray that we would know conviction of sin and righteousness. We do ask that you would give dreams and visions as you desire, that you would reveal yourself, illuminate the scriptures, change people's hearts. Journey us through all all the mess of life. Lord Jesus, we are your people. We commit ourselves to you because of your blood and your sacrifice and your spirit. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Max, would you please come and lead us in a song as we finish this morning? Given us some real food for thought there. And um, none of us have made it, have we? We've still got 
a way to go. But we can praise God for who he is 